Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. California's conditional release program, known as CONREP, is supposed to help patients leaving state psychiatric hospitals transition to an independent life. But a new investigation by the Marshall Project and the LA Times finds that CONREP can put former patients in decades of legal limbo, during which the state dictates where they live, work, and whom they can see. We'll learn more. But first, a new ESPN 30 for 30 and the Undefeated podcast looks at the impact of the late rapper Nipsey Hussle through his relationships with NBA players and the shared experiences and pressures of making it and giving back. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Last time that I checked, it was five chains on my neck. It was no smut on my rep. Last time that I checked, I was selling zones in the set. Make a quarter mil, no sweat. Last time that I checked, I'm the streets voice out west. Legendary self-made progress. Last time that I checked. Less than four months after Nipsey Hussle's album Victory Lap was nominated for a Grammy for Best Rap Album, Hussle was shot and killed outside his store in Crenshaw in March of 2019. The community's grief was palpable. It hung in the air in South L.A., according to journalist Justin Tinsley, who covered reaction to Hustle's death. Now Tinsley is host of a new ESPN 30 for 30 podcast called The King of Crenshaw, looking at Nipsey Hussle's life and his impact on NBA players. Welcome to Forum, Justin Tinsley. Thank you so much for having me on. Truly, truly, truly grateful to be here. Well, we're really glad to have you on, too. And could you talk a little bit about what made Nipsey so unique? Why the reaction to his death both reverberated broadly, but it was felt so deeply in the neighborhood where he grew up? Ooh, that that is a really, really good question. And I promise I'll try not to take up all the time we have <laughs> here today answering that. But it, it's it's a phenomenal question. And it's one that is worthy of examine, examination and discussion. So his death permeated, you know, around the world after it happened on March 31st, 2019, and in the days, weeks following. But in Los Angeles, this was deeply personal. This is somebody, he didn't just move to Los Angeles when, you know, he was older in life and really planted seeds there. This is, this is a guy that was born in South Central LA, South LA, whatever you want to call it. He was a guy that was from that turf. He was a guy that proudly represented where he was from. 
And not, not just that, and there's a really good quote from a uh, journalist and culture critic, Garrett Kennedy, who's, who's a prominent voice uh, within the series as well. Mm-hmm. He says something along the lines, and I, I don't want to misquote him, so I'll try to paraphrase him. He says something along the lines that Nipsey did what we all say we want to do. You know, you, you have a passion, you pursue it, you find success in it, you start making money from it. And some people, and not that this is wrong by any stretch of the imagination, some people get that money, move away, and then send the money back and send the resources back. Nipsey stayed within his community, building businesses, uh, giving people from the community jobs. And so when you're from that area and you're so used to seeing him, not just at his marathon store, but you see him at the grocery store, you see him getting green smoothies and everything. Like he's talking to people within the community. He's telling, he's telling kids walking to school, like, Hey, hurry up and get to school. Um, you know, the bell first bell rings in about 20 minutes. Y'all hurry up and get there. So when you're that entrenched in the community and you're that visible and you, people can reach out and literally touch you, when somebody is taken in such a violent manner like that, there's going to be a gaping hole in that community, not just not just for months or weeks or years, but, you know, for an entire lifetime. Yeah, it's still being felt so much as you demonstrate. Um, there's also this clip that I'd love to play from your podcast mm-hmm. that I think in, encapsulates a lot of the things that you're saying. And it's from when he opens a store. And I don't know before we played if you want to say a little bit about the store, the marathon store. Oh, the marathon store. It's a very aptly titled store uh, because to get that to get that store all, you know, up, up and off the ground, the ribbon cutting ceremony. This was a journey that was well over a decade in the making. You know, Nipsey and his friends, they used to hang out in the parking lot. They used to hustle in the parking lot and they, they would sell clothing. Then. You know, they would sell T-shirts and sweatpants and things of that nature. And There's so many stories about, you know, the police raiding them and telling them if you want to sell in this parking lot, you have to buy a building and pay taxes and get a lease just like everybody else. And so eventually they did that. And in June of 2017, they officially cut the ribbon on the Marathon Smart Store, which is right on the corner of Crenshaw and Slauson. Yeah. All right. Let's hear that. This is when Nipsey opens the store. How you feeling today, Nip? June 17, 2017, was a monumental day in South L.A.'s history. The corner of Crenshaw and Slauson was packed. Seniors, adults, kids, babies spilled out on the streets in anticipation. The entire community was out there. The love in the building that day was, like, through the roof. It was just dope to see that. It wasn't just the neighborhood that turned out to support Nipsey. Some of his friends in the NBA pulled up, too like DeMarcus Cousins. I feel like the entire community was proud of, you know, Nip. Like, this was a huge stepping stone. Not only was it benefiting him, but it benefited the same exact area that he grew up in, which was everybody that was there. They were all there for the grand opening of the Marathon Store, a project more than a decade in the making a store that bore the name of Nipsey's personal philosophy and that exemplified his belief in the power of never giving up. It just felt hopeful and victorious. Marquise Harris-Dawson is the council member for the district that includes Crenshaw. The hood came out, the elected officials came out, everybody was there to celebrate. It's the only time I've closed a major street in my district. We closed Slauson and uh, nobody complained. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Nipsey also. 
As Nipsey prepared to cut the ribbon and open the doors to the marathon for the first time, he was visibly excited, beaming ear to ear. It's not about just the reception of the love. It's about the impact that you're putting on that community. It inspired me to do the same for mine. I want to be able to bring back to, you know, my stomping grounds and have people receive me in that same way. I would be lying to say I wasn't inspired and influenced by Nip. That's a clip from the latest ESPN 30 for 30 podcast called The King of Crenshaw. And my guest, Justin Tinsley, is the host, also a senior writer for ESPN's The Undefeated. And Justin, you hear DeMarcus Cousins in the clip. What did you learn about what made Cousins connect so much to who Nipsey Hussle was and what he was doing? Again, that's a that, that's that's a phenomenal question because what I learned from Demarcus Cousins is, you know, what I learned from Isaiah Thomas, who's also featured in this, and Demar Derozan, who's also featured in this, yeah. is is the same reason why I became a fan of, of Nipsey so so many years ago. That there was this there was this disarming factor about him. I never met him in person, but when I listened to his music and when I listened to his interviews. It's very disarming because it's so genuine. It's so honest and it's so authentic. And while Nipsey and myself and Nipsey and DeMarcus, you know, may have grown up in different type of environments and in different parts of the country, there's, there's this gravitational pull in a person when they speak about their lives and you can see part of your story in there. Part, you know, Nipsey was going for something his passion was different than mine, which may have been slightly different than DeMarcus's, but we all understood the dedication and the perseverance and how, you know, the lonely nights that would come with pursuing that passion. And I think that's the thing that really, if Nipsey is a solar system, he was the sun and so so many people revolved around him, were drawn to him because there's so many mutual life experiences, mutual motivations, mutual, sometimes insecurities. That, that that you can see in yourself and another person. And, wh- and when you're dealing with music, such a personal uh, voyage uh, of self-expression, you start to see yourself in that. So I saw, I learned that DeMarcus in particular, since, you know, that was who your question was pointed after. I learned that many of his reasons for becoming a fan of Nipsey were the exact same as mine. It's really interesting because it's so true to become a basketball star, a star athlete to become a hip hop artist, a hip hop star. It's an incredibly difficult road. Um, You have to devote so much of who you are to get to that point. And it's, it's a point that very few can achieve. And so they, Mm -hmm. they shared that. But the other thing that I was so struck by was it also sound like, sounded like, DeMarcus Cousins and others could relate to the pressures you feel once you do make it and what you do with that. Can you talk a little bit about that part as well? Yeah. It's, it's so easy to think that once you sign to a record label or once you get drafted to the NBA and, you know, for, for, for my own personal journeys, like once you make it to ESPN, it's kind of like, Oh, everything's going to be, easy peasy from here on out. Like, I don't, you know, everything is just going to fall in place for me. Like, no, you, you work your entire life to get to a point and you understand it's like, if I get that one opportunity 
to prove myself, to say something, to really showcase my talents to the world, then I'll never look back. And then you get that opportunity. And then you realize on the other side of that opportunity is like, I have to, now I have to work basically twice as hard to solidify my position and, you know, whatever world that I want to operate in and showcase my talent in is. And so with Nipsey and like these basketball players, one mixtape isn't going to guarantee you longevity in the game. You know, one good season or one, one good half a season or even one good postseason won't guarantee you um, this this iconic status, this legendary status, this this thing that you've dreamed about your entire life. Nothing is going to nothing guarantees that it, rap is a marathon the same way beca- becoming a legend in basketball is a marathon. You can't just do it overnight. And so and, and there's going to be a lot of times. Yes. If you're if you're a rapper, you're performing in front of thousands of people. If you're an NBA player, you're performing in front of thousands of people at least three to four nights a week. But the what what you do when no one else is around, what you do in the studio, working on songs till three, four, five in the morning, what you do in the gym till to midnight, one in the morning, just working on, on a shot or working on a defensive drill. The world won't see that, but the world will see once you get a chance to showcase that talent, how special, how special you are. And very few people can relate to what that process is like. And that's why those NBA players gravitated towards Nipsey, but also why Nipsey gravitated to so many people in the NBA far beyond just the, oh, well, I'm a famous musician or I'm a famous basketball player. There was a, there was a genuine, deep and honestly unbreakable respect and, and bond there. And, and then there's also the bond of people are seeing all of that success and people are kind of expecting you to do something with it too. Um, we're actually coming into a break here and I want to give a little room for this song, but I uh, want to invite our listeners if they want to join our conversation to share if you're a fan of Nipsey Hussle and what is music and activism meant to you. You can call us at 866-733-6786, email us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. We'll have more with Justin Tinsley. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the life and legacy of hip-hop artist and entrepreneur Nipsey Hussle, whose influence on L.A., the sports world, and beyond is the subject of the latest ESPN 30 for 30 podcast called The King of Crenshaw. And I'm talking with Justin Tinsley, senior writer for ESPN's The Undefeated and host of 
the podcast, The King of Crenshaw. And you, our listeners, if you have any thoughts uh, about Nipsey Hussle that you want to share, what his music and activism meant to you, you can do that at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Maybe you want to tell us if, if you've returned or stayed in your hometown to give back to your community or ever felt that pull. Um, Justin Tinsley, just quickly, the, the song we heard coming out of the break, Hustle in the House, it's from his early years. I'm curious, Victory Lap, where was Nipsey Hussle in terms of his musical career when he was killed? Well, again, just like the Marathon Store, Victory Lap is a very aptly titled album. That was an album that if you're, if you're a long-term Nipsey fan, you remember him talking about that project in maybe like 2011, 2012. And where Nipsey was at the time of his death in March, 2019, uh, it, was kind of, it was weird because if you were a fan of Nipsey, he, he was a household name and he had been a household name for a long time. But if you were really just getting to know him over the 2018 that he had, Victory Lap uh, debuted as a top five album in the country when it was first released. He was kind of like a, a, a he was he was a vet and a rising star at the same time, and he was really beginning to make that true star turn that you see artists do. And it was so beautiful to watch that the Grammy nomination was won, but really showing up at the Grammys in February 2019 with his with his daughter Imani and his partner Lauren London, he just looked so happy that you you, you were just so excited for uh, for what lay ahead for him because he had yeah. the world at his fingertips really did feel like he was on the cusp of like another another frontier. And mm -hmm. I, I want to play another clip from your podcast. This is actually from a conversation you have with Penn State professor Amira Rose Davis about mm -hmm. Nipsey's success as an entertainer, about translating the success as an entertainer into more beyond the expectations that society has. Um, and so let, let's hear a little bit of that now. But it wasn't just the neighborhood that benefited. Nipsey was laying out a blueprint that extended far beyond his corner of Crenshaw and Slauson. One of the things that Nipsey modeled was doing it out loud, right? Like very publicly saying, this is where I'm opening a storefront and this is why. Very publicly talking about the responsibility to community, very publicly calling for a reinvestment in the areas that you came from and not just to escape from them. Amira Rose Davis is a professor of history and African-American studies at Penn State and co-host of the Burn It All Down podcast. For many NBA players, it was also an invitation and a blueprint for being louder and visible with that work and the importance of that. It's important to do this work and important to talk about doing it. And I think that that touches a vein in Black laborers who are entertainers, especially because that has been historically one space of upward mobility that Black people have had across the 19th and 20th century, which is if you're entertaining people, particularly white people, you're going to have a pathway of upward mobility as an individual. Black entertainers have always had a road unfold before them that was an individual path. And the importance of saying, I'm walking this road, but it's a two-way street. And that this is not just an exit, but it's a return. Can you talk a little bit about that clip and why it was so important to include in your podcast about the expectations on entertainers and, and what role Nipsey played in that? 
Yeah, I, I think it would have been disingenuous and would have been unfair to the story at large, but also who Nipsey Hussle was as a person, because he was never, he never wanted to be boxed in as just, you know, one type of, or one title. Of course, he wanted to be a famous rapper and he became a famous rapper, but he was so much more than that. And I always tell people, um, Nipsey in a lot of ways was kind of like the American dream personified. You know, he was the son of an Eritrean immigrant and he found success not only through his musical career, but also as an entrepreneur. And, but he also stayed very involved in his community throughout his life. And he made it a point to help, you know, other black people like himself. Uh, Nipsey saw throughout his entire life that there, there's, there's so much of society that, that leeches off the quote unquote ghetto. You know, they use it for, for art. They use it for headlines on like talk shows and X, Y, and Z. But, you know, people always go there for content, but people rarely ever check on people from these environments. And he was a person directly from this environment. So he knew that, like, if I if I find success in whatever my passion is, I have to bring them with me because so much of who I am and so much of this content that I put out into the world are from the experiences that I had in 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 the places where I grew up, good, bad, and indifferent. And so that that resonated with a lot of guys in the NBA because they were all young black men, you know, finding themselves coming of age during such a during a generation where, you know, Black Lives Matter was coming to power. You know, we we were seeing we were seeing police brutality cases that, which felt like every other every other day it, it felt like. And so like you start to realize that, yes, I have a passion and I want to be great at this, but that's not all who I am. That's not all that I can bring to the table. And that's not all that I want the world to see from me and people who look like me. And Nipsey carried that with him uh, during in, in any endeavor he pursued in any song he was recording in the studio. Like he, that part of him was just as much a part of who he was as what he wanted to do inside the booth. Yeah, I, I remember a clip that you played of him being interviewed when he's like in his early 20s. And they're like, what do you want to do? And he's basically talking about investing in land. And you could tell that the interviewer was like, really surprised by that. Um, yeah. The other piece of of what Amira Rose Davis was talking about was the blueprint for doing your activism out loud. And I was struck, um, Justin Tinsley, that you made a decision to, to Talk about how NBA players reacted to the to the murder of Trayvon Martin. I mean, you're talking about coming up during Black Lives Matter. And, you know, that was in 2012. And I was just wondering how you see the way that NBA players responded to that as connected to Nipsey in some ways. Yeah, and, and I, I do want to hammer this point home. I'm not saying that NBA players were doing that because they saw what Nipsey was doing and weren't, I, I, I believe right. they were inspired, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't a direct response to that. But I do believe it's just being a young black male in America at that time and understanding that you have a platform of power, a platform of influence. And if you have that foresight of saying like, when I look back on this time in my life, I want to feel like I added something to the conversation. I, I brought something to the forefront and I want to be a positive influence instead of somebody who looks back 30 years from now saying, I wish I would have done that. Nipsey was on the front line saying that, these type of things. And when you see NBA players, and when I say NBA players, I'm, I'm not saying at all they were the only ones, you know, speaking out on these issues, but just, you know, for the sake of this conversation and this podcast, these NBA players, they were, they were saying the same thing. They were young. A lot of them were young black men in their 20s, much like Nipsey, 
understanding that their place in the world uh, was more than just whatever arena they were playing in that night. You know, they still had to be young black men once they went home or once they tried to run errands for themselves when they weren't playing a game. And we've, we've all heard so many stories of how, you know, entertainers, athletes, whatever they may be, have these run-ins, not just with police, but to society as a whole that views them less than, than human in a, in a lot of regards. So I think it was just one of those things where the NBA players and Nipsey, they were both running in parallel lanes to, to try to achieve the same sort of goals. But, like, hey, we matter. We're worth something. And we bring a lot to the world far beyond um, what you're just entertained by. Yeah, it was interesting also, right? They would get criticism um, for having sort of stepped out of their perceived lane of being an mm -hmm. athlete and and just how how terrible that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 when you say it like that, and obviously it's the, the absolute perfect way to say it, a lot of these athletes, and, not, and honestly, not even just NBA players, but a lot of these athletes are just seen as robots. If you're mad at a person for speaking about something in society that they that they feel is wrong, that, that we all see, unfortunately, on a daily, sometimes on a daily basis, if you're mad at them for speaking uh, on these type of things and not just entertaining you on the basketball court or the tennis court or the football field or whatever, whatever the, the level of, of sport it may be, you're basically saying you don't view them as human. Just just entertain me and then go back to, you know, whatever whatever, you know, house you live in or whatever neighborhood you live in. But like, I don't want to hear you talk about whatever else is going on in the world. I would just want you to shut up and dribble. That's basically saying you don't even view that person as a human. You just view their value by, by the entertainment they bring to your life. We're talking with Justin Tinsley, senior writer for ESPN's The Undefeated and host of The King of Crenshaw, a new podcast about the legacy of hip hop artist and entrepreneur Nipsey Hussle. Uh, it's an ESPN 30 for 30 and the undefeated uh, podcast. One other place where I was really struck about how you talked about NBA, NBA stars speaking out was you noted how they grieved publicly for Nipsey Hussle. Um, I think yeah. DeMarcus Cousins admits that he hasn't like spoken this publicly with anybody about his pain or about what Nipsey meant to him, even to, to Nipsey Hussle. Why did that stand out to you that you were seeing sort of these public expressions of grief from NBA players? I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. And before I answer that, I just want to give you a little bit of background information on the, I guess, the inspiration for this podcast. Yeah. One, it, it was a, it was a, it was an idea that I had back in 2018. I fleshed it out with one of Nipsey's uh, really close friends and somebody he worked with at Atlantic Records. Her name is uh, Brittany Bell, uh, one of the best ears in the music industry, as far as my buck is concerned. So we came up roughly with an idea where I wanted to examine Nipsey's friendships uh, with certain players in the NBA. And I think we liked the idea. We were working on trying to bring it to life, but you know, schedules didn't uh, line up in 2018 there's a line in the podcast where I say that's the thing about time you always think you have more of it and so when he passed in 2019 I was like damn I, I wish we could have got that idea off the ground but I also understood that if you, you follow his life's principles one of them was the marathon and that's in, in, a, in, in a nutshell that's how this story came to be I pitched to the 30 for 30 team at ESPN they they, they really enjoyed it and one one of the factors that I really wanted to focus on, I didn't want to focus on it for the entire series because I didn't want it to become like drunken with grief. 
but I also wanted to show black people grieving publicly because for you know for so long it, it, it's always been we've we've had to express our sorrows uh, behind behind closed doors to to people who look like us. I wanted the world to see, or at least here in this instance, that the these titans in the sports world they're humans just like us. That they, they grieve just like us. Their pain is still very much palpable. Like I I asked Isaiah Thomas, "Have you cried over Nipsey?" And he was like, "No, I haven't cried over Nipsey because it does it it still doesn't feel real to him." Grief is a lifelong process. And yes, while you, while you may be seeing these guys in the NBA, they're, they're, they're posting workout videos on Instagram. You see Russell Westbrook coming back to the Lakers this year, James Harden with the Nets, and like all these, DeMar DeRozan with the Bulls, all these guys are preparing to have big years in the, in, 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 with the upcoming season, rather. But they're still a part of their life where they're still grieving. Some of, some of them being open, some of them being private. But that's a part of them that is no longer here. And you, you may not think about that all the time when you're watching them score 30, 40 points. But that, that's a part of them that is no longer here. And they're still, in, in many ways, struggling to come, come to grips with that. And that is a lifelong process. And that's what I wanted to show in this podcast. Mm-hmm. That, like These guys are so much more than whatever their box score says they are. You even share your own feelings in the podcast. And I was curious when I heard that, had you planned to do that before you started kind of digging into the the things that you wanted to show in this podcast? Or did you feel inspired to do it as you were, as you were doing this work? One thing I've always respected and admired about music was the best music that is is it's an open book. You know exactly how the artist is, is feeling as soon as you hear the song. And Lord knows, um, you'll, you'll never hear a singing album from me. You definitely <laughs> won't hear a rapping album from me. I'm not musically inclined. I love music. I love to write about it. I love to document it. But I knew if this was already going to be such a personal and emotional project because the main character of it, unfortunately, you know, is no longer here. And over the course of the project, you know, my, the, the people who I work with on this, who, who did a phenomenal job and basically held my hand throughout this entire process, because this was my first podcast, Joanne Griffith, Gr- Gus Navarro, <laughs> Julia Henderson, Steve Reese, Dave King, um, Derwin Graham, and so, and so many others, they basically told me, you have to, you don't have to put yourself in every scene, but when it makes the most sense, put yourself in there because you were part, you were, you're part of the grieving public of Nipsey Hussle too. You just have the means and the platform to tell this story. And I, I, Nipsey Hussle's death hurt me, like hit me to my, hit me to my core. Like I'll never forget where I was when I got the news. I'll never forget flying out to LA to cover his death, all of which, you know, I talk, talk about in the podcast and the thing, music is music is so enriching to the soul, but when you lose somebody whose music and whose life and uh, who you felt whose purpose really just, even mattered beyond a, a musical level, like you feel a part of yourself that's no longer here, and I do, and I do, and uh, of course I wanted to do the greatest job journalistically that I could. Um, that I didn't want it to be like a fluff piece or anything like that. I don't think it is, but I wanted to do, I wanted to do right by his legacy as well, because this was a project that he and I, at least in my mind, were supposed to work on. Yeah. And um, 
I'm very proud of, of how it came out. I'm so thankful that like people like his brother and Kabi, Kabi Supreme and Jay Stone and Pac-Man the Gum and people who really knew him personally like that. Um, I'm so grateful and honored that they, that they took time to be part of this. And uh, I feel really proud, but you know, I'm also still very sad because I have to talk about him in the past tense. Yeah. Well, your podcast certainly had that effect on me and just in really bringing him to life in, in new ways and also NBA players in new ways too. What I'm thinking about when you think, when you say legacy is it, what's so crushing is, is the way he died, like in front of his yeah. own store, which is like the yeah. centerpiece of his plan to, to mm -hmm. revive the area. I, I'm wondering, we just have a minute left, but do you know, like, if that plan continues, like if anybody has sort of picked that up? Well, I, I know his brother, Black Sam, uh, he is, he's dedicated the rest of his life to making sure that he does right by his brother, his legacy, that the goals that he had set forth. I know the pandemic has kind of slowed things and made things uh, a little, a, a little weird or whatnot, but I, I know his family and his estate, they are dedicated to, you know, seeing his marathon through in, in whatever shape, form or fashion that looks like. If, if anything, if, if his family is involved with the project, then you know this is something that Nipsey would have absolutely wanted or planned to do while he was alive. So I, I hope, and that was part of the podcast, the marathon continues. That's gonna look like a bunch of different things over the course of the years, but as long as the marathon is continuing, then that's honoring Nipsey Hussle in the right way. Well, Justin Tinsley, can't thank you enough for coming on. So great to have you. Thank you so much for having me on. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Justin Tinsley, senior writer for ESPN's The Undefeated, host of The King of Crenshaw, all about Nipsey Hussle. We go out with the dedication. How long should I stay dedicated? How long till opportunity meet preparation? I need some real work and reparations. Or I run up in your bank just for recreation. Dedication, hard work, plus patience. To some more my sacrifice, I'm done waiting. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.